Welcome to Question Period. I hope you're doing okay out there. I'm Evan Solomon, broadcasting, as you can see, from the splendid isolation of the home office. Today on the program, unprecedented aid. We're helping companies keep people on the payroll so that workers are supported and the economy is positioned to recover from this. That is our priority. A massive multi-billion dollar new aid package to save businesses comes just days after the $107 billion package to help you. How fast can the money get delivered and is it enough? And with the tough new quarantine act passed, new questions emerge about the COVID-19 crisis. Could the government take even stronger measures to contain it? Today we'll get answers from the industry minister, Navdeep Baines. He joins us. So does conservative leader Andrew Scheer. He drops in with his view on the response. Then the CEO of the Canadian Chamber of Commerce, Perrin Beattie, and the former finance minister and minister of public safety, Ralph Goodale, join the scrum. Then, frontline shortages. I can assure everyone that uh, the federal stockpiles have been sufficient to meet the needs of the provinces until this point. And in the coming days, we will be receiving millions more items uh, that are necessary right across the country. There have been reports that nurses and doctors are rationing protective gear to make supplies last. Do hospitals have what they need to keep Canadians and frontline workers safe? Should Canada have sent 16 tons of medical supplies to China? Do we need more ventilators? We'll get the latest from Dr. Neil Rao, who drops in. This is Question Period. Let's go get some answers. Last week, we had announced that we would cover 10% of wages, but it's becoming clear that we need to do more, much more. So we're bringing that percentage up to 75% for qualifying businesses. This means that people will continue to be paid even though their employer has had to slow down or stop its operations because of COVID-19. An unprecedented amount of help is on the way. $107 billion for families and people who have lost their jobs because of COVID-19. That means up to $1,800 a month for four months for some people who qualify. And then after that, the Prime Minister announced a huge new subsidy for businesses, covering up to 75% of wages and $40,000 in guaranteed loans. That's a change. They used to only cover 10% of wages, but you've got a million people plus who have already applied for help. Unemployment rates are going up. And then there's real questions about how to cope with COVID-19 and the surge. And then there's new money just this morning for women's shelters, for kids' help phones, and for seniors. Is it all enough, and can people get the money? Let's find out. Joining me now on another unprecedented week is the industry minister, Navdeep Baines. And Mr. Baines, I wish you and yours well in the midst of a crisis that's affecting all of us. But let's just start with this huge series of aid packages that, that's been announced. Um, Will this be enough to preserve the economy when this is over for, job, for people to come back to jobs? Or do your, does your government believe there is much more uh, aid needed? Uh, the short answer is we're going to need to do more. Uh, these are important steps that we've taken. Uh, the objective is to save lives. The objective is not to overwhelm the healthcare system. And in order to do that, we need people to stay home. And when they stay home, there's serious economic challenges associated with that. And that's why we put measures forward, as you've highlighted, to support small businesses, to support individuals. Uh, but once we get through this crisis, we need to make sure there's a quick rebound in the economy. 
and will come forward with additional support measures and stimulus measures to assist that turnaround. Minister, look, and I appreciate that your government is dealing with something unprecedented. You're kind of building the plane as you're having to fly it. So I, so that caveat aside, I realize there's an enormous amount of complexity here. But for the average person, the person that owns a small business, the programs keep changing. The details are coming at them. They're not sure how, how they qualify. Let me give you an example. What if you own a barbershop? You were told to close. You've laid off all your workers already. Do those workers, what do they do right now? How do they pay their rent? How do they manage in the months to come? What would you tell them? That's why we put forward the $40,000 loan interest-free through your financial institutions. You can quickly go there and become eligible for that money to pay the rent, to pay the bills, to deal with these challenging times. We've also changed the criteria under our crown corporations, particularly Business Development Bank of Canada, to make it more easier and more flexible for businesses, particularly smaller businesses, to get access to that cash. We know cash flow is a challenge. So we'll continue to take measures. We've got our ears to the ground. We know if something's not working, we'll tweak it, we'll change it. Uh, as you said, the situation is very fluid, but we're nimble and we're acting with speed. Well, I, I mean, a lot of businesses are, are, aren't sure. They're definitely confused about uh, if they can get there. How fast can the money flow? You, you talk about speed. When will people actually see the money in their hands? So with regards to the $2,000 uh, uh, commitment that we made under the Canada Emergency Respond uh, Fund, uh, they should get that money in a matter of days once the program is up and running. With regards to business loans, we have an arrangement with the banks to make sure that money starts to flow immediately as well. So if you're a small business owner, go to your banks, talk about this $40,000 program that we put in place, this interest-free loan. Uh, they should get access to that uh, quickly. And in the meantime, if you want access to that $2,000 per month plan uh, that we put forward for individual support, go to CRA, the Canadian Revenue Agency, to uh, make sure that you're up to date with all the information that they require so we can flow that money more quickly and have direct deposits once that becomes available. Right. I mean, the bottom line is that you still got to build the port or it's not going to be days away. It's probably weeks and weeks away. You've got a, a civil service that's under incredible strain, Service Canada offices that are closed for a lot of people. So I think the administration and the speed is going to be a question. But you're the Minister of Industry and I, got to, I want to get to medical supplies. Sure. I know your government has talked about there's not a lot of shortages. I have spoken to hospitals and doctors who are already rationing masks, gowns. I know in February, Canada sent China 16 tons of equipment. I recognize Dr. Teresa Tan, the chief public health officer, said that was part of the containment strategy. But before Canada sent those supplies, did the federal government check with hospitals in any way to make sure that when the pandemic hit and the WHO was warning it, we would not have the shortages that we are hearing about right now? That's a great question, Evan. Uh, as you say, Dr. Tan was very clear about the containment strategy because it's a global pandemic. And with regards to dealing with the provinces and territories, uh, my colleague Patty Heidi and Dr. Tan engage on a regular basis with per public health agencies and different jurisdictions to understand their needs and assessments. We have started, we started that long time ago and we continue to remain engaged on a daily basis to understand those needs and how that evolves with regards to medical equipment that they need. Uh, and that's why we're making bulk buys uh, through procurement. That's why we're mobilizing industry to build some of these essential supplies so that we're over-prepared and not under-prepared.
But, sir, to be with all due respect, we're clearly underprepared because hospitals are already rationing. I mean, that's the big question. I mean, I, I recognize this is all coming pretty fast, but a month ago, uh, we were giving stuff away. Just on, on the, this other question, I've, I've now read reports that other countries, uh, the Netherlands and maybe Czechoslovakia, have received uh, equipment back from the Chinese, as Canada has just received some back from the Chinese, which is welcome, but they've been concerned about the quality of it, having to ditch tens of thousands of masks. Is Canada concerned about the quality of equipment being shipped back in the midst of this crisis? We have clear standards when it comes to quality with regards to medical equipment. Even when we're retooling domestic uh, production capabilities, they have to meet those requirements. And that applies to any supplies we receive from other jurisdictions as well. We will not compromise on the health and well-being of Canadians. Of course, we need supplies, but they need to meet those standards. Uh, Minister, let me talk about retooling industry uh, for masks and gowns. The big question, though, is not just test kits, but ventilators. If you look at the United States, if you look at Italy, if you look at the UK, ventilators are the key thing. Your government keeps saying there won't have shortages. If a surge comes, and every doctor I'm talking to is waiting for that, there will be a quick shortage of ventilators. Can I have a precise description of who is producing the new ventilators, how many, and when hospitals will get new ventilators? So how many and when? So the number is going to continue to be more, not less. The precise number depends on what the provinces and territories tell us. And Dr. Tam and Patty Haidu are working with them to understand that. I can give you an example. We had a letter of intent with Thornhill Medical. Uh, this is a company that is producing ventilators. We've now translated that letter of intent into a significant purchase order. And we'll be sharing that with the public. And we'll make sure that once those ventilators are produced, we quickly... Uh, provide those ventilators to jurisdictions that need them and, of course, to any jurisdiction across the country, depending on how the situation evolves. So that's one example of several that we'll be coming forward with in the but coming when? days to but demonstrate. But again, I, I, I want to press you because we've heard this, you know, sure. we're, we're, we're into six weeks here. When do you reckon hospitals will get new ventilators and how many? What's the number? Well, 30,000 new so, ventilators, the federal government, and when will they arrive? So the number is more, not less. Uh, this precise number changes because depending on the production capability of each individual company. And I can tell you it's weeks, not months, when they'll get this. Minister, look, I know there's a lot of what I like to call COVID morning quarterbacks, everybody questioning, and th that may not be that helpful. But it's important in our role to, to make sure the government's moving as quickly as possible. And you talked about speed. But if you look at some of the things that happened, you know, I spoke to the health minister four weeks ago. Should we close the borders? No, that's not useful. Now we've closed the border. Should we stop flights? That's not useful. Should we be stockpiling? No, the risk is low. And then things have changed. I guess my question now is, did we underestimate the impact of COVID-19 on Canada? And have we been too slow to react with some of these fundamental changes? I think time will tell uh, if, we're, if we're able to flatten that curve, if everyone steps up, stays home, if we're able to practice self-isolation and social distancing and physical distancing, then I think we'll be in a very good position. Uh, but it really requires a collective effort. It's not, a sing it's not about government acting alone. It's about Canadians also stepping up in a big way. And there's many people that are and some people that are not. And that's why we have to continue to take additional measures to say, look, this situation is very serious. This is about people's lives. And we all have a responsibility to play our part. 
All right, I got to leave it there. Uh, Industry Minister Navdeep Baines, I hope you and yours are well. I appreciate you joining us today. We got lots to come on the program coming up next. What is the official opposition's reaction to the government's response? Andrew Shearer joins us next right here on Question Period. Stay with us. If you've lost your job because of COVID-19, whether you're full-time, contract, or self-employed, this new benefit will be there for you. If you're sick or quarantined, looking after someone sick or at home taking care of your kids, it's there for you. And, if you're, and even if you're still employed but not receiving income because of this crisis, the CERB is there for you. So lots of aid packages this past week. The government is going to give people who qualify up to $1,800 a month. That's $2,000 minus the tax for up to four months to help get through this very difficult situation. That was part of the $107 billion aid packages for families. And then on Friday, the government announced an aid package for small and medium businesses that will pay up to 75% of wages for salary employees, including things like deferral of HST and GST and even loans, government-backed loans, guaranteed loans of up to $40,000 uh, that are interest-free for a year. So there's a lot on the table. Now, the parliamentary budget officer is already saying that the deficit from all this could be $113 billion, but now with the new promises, we could be well over $200 billion because the prime minister is saying there's more to come. Still, is it enough? Let's find out and get the opposition perspective. Joining me now is the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, Andrew Scheer. Mr. Scheer, good to have you back on the program. Let me just start with the latest development from the, uh, the Prime Minister on Friday, saying that small and medium businesses uh, are in real trouble. We've had a million people apply for EI already. Now he's saying the government will cover up to 75% of salaries. Uh, and there's other measures that are worth more than $30 billion. In your view, is that enough? Well, we'd like to point out that we were calling for the wage subsidy to be lifted long ago. Uh, it was initially set at 10%, and we said that that wasn't going to be enough to uh, keep people working when businesses are being told to close the doors. Uh, we've continued to believe that we need to start thinking about making sure that there are jobs for people to go back to. And that's why we've called for the government to refund the GST that they've collected from small businesses. Uh, they announced a deferral this week, but that's not going to be enough because right now many small and medium-sized businesses have collected GST. Uh, it's in an account. If they have to pay that money back this summer or this fall, uh, then that doesn't really help them stay afloat. But if we just say to them, okay, you're, you're able to keep that tax that you've collected, that's going to allow them to pay their rent, pay their suppliers, and make sure there's a job for people to go back to when the health crisis part of this pandemic is over. I mean, you know, conservatives have often been, quote, deficit hawks on this. I remember back in 2008, 2009, it did take Jim Flaherty and Stephen Harper a long time. And then they finally realized we've got to, we've got to have a stimulus package here. These are big numbers we're talking about. I have heard very few people saying we can't spend this much because of future deficits. Does that... Uh, worry you at all or are you in the same camp frank as the prime minister and the finance minister who says uh, we need to follow the example around the world and get total comprehensive coverage to make sure that there's jobs for people to return to 
Well, I'm always very concerned by deficits, and it's one of the reasons why we were calling on Justin Trudeau to balance the budget when he said he would. We're going into this crisis in a weakened position. He has left us vulnerable with tens of billions of dollars of unnecessary deficit. He's, he's wasted uh, so much taxpayers' money. Uh, we were warning him to say, look, uh, when times are good, you should be paying down debt so that when uh, a disaster strikes, obviously we didn't know that this would be the type of thing we'd be facing, but uh, we always know that we have to be prepared for downturns or for global events. Uh, they didn't listen to us. They ratcheted up those deficits, borrowed money, uh, and now we're entering into this phase already uh, deep in the red. So while we do recognize that we need to help people who have been told by government to close their stores, to turn away customers, uh, it's appropriate that we help people get through this period of time, but we would have been in a stronger position had we balanced the budget long ago. Okay, but your your support. But the fundamental moment for now, you support this kind of aid package, and the prime minister is promising more to come. Do you think they need more to come? We want to see, as the government responds to the 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 ongoing economic consequences of this pandemic, we, we want to see step by step what it is that they're proposing to do. That's why we fought so hard this week to make sure there's accountability and oversight uh, in their aid package, that the Finance Committee still needs to go through it, that parliamentarians can still analyze it to make sure right. it's getting to where it's needed. Uh, but uh, but we, we've seen with these Liberals a habit of, of paying, spending tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars in areas where they don't need to. So we're still going to be doing our due diligence to make sure that there's some kind of a path to get back to normal when this pandemic is over. Let me talk about the health issue. A lot of Conservatives push back about the report in the Globe and Mail that uh, Canada sent 16 tons of medical equipment, gowns, masks, gloves to China. And they said, wait, that was a waste, that was negligence. But Dr. Theresa Tam, Canada's chief public health officer, said that was actually the protocol, that you're, they're trying to contain the virus in China then, even in February, even when the World Health Organization had warned that this was a, uh, going to be a, a, an international emergency, that was still part of the protocol. And, and sources are telling me, and again, I don't know when this is going to happen, but government sources are saying China will return that. Do you think that was a mistake? Either was it prudence to try to stop the virus then and part of international cooperation, like Dr. Theresa Tam says, or was it negligence that have left Canadian frontline workers in short supply right now? You know, I spoke to the president of the Ontario Medical Association just a short while ago, and, and he told me that one of their biggest concerns was access to personal protective equipment. So I believe that uh, we should not have sent our supplies to another country when we were at the same time being told that it would likely spread to Canada. I also point out that in those very same days when we were, when uh, the justification from the Liberal government is that they were trying to contain it. We also were calling for the government to restrict air travel, uh, to start bringing in tougher measures to restrict people coming back to Canada from areas that had uh, experienced a spike in, in these cases. And we were told that closing the border and restricting air travel was not an effective way to deal with the spread. So uh, we've had a complete inconsistency on messaging from this government. They, they have ruled things out only to implement them a couple of days later. Uh, we believe it was, so, it was so the wrong thing to do. We need. Are you saying that they've blown it? Like, are you saying the Liberal government was just too slow on all this, on the closing the border, on the invoking the uh, Quarantine Act, on sending stuff to China when they, you believe they, they needed it? Because their it, argument is they've been following the best medical advice. And are you saying that they mishandled the crisis? I am saying that they have consistently uh, had to reverse their own positions. I point out to you the fact 
but they said that restricting air travel and closing the borders were not effective ways to stop the spread, only to have to do the same thing just a few days later. There were other countries around the world that very quickly brought in those types of travel restrictions. Uh, so obviously there were experts saying that it needed to be done. We were calling for it to be done. It turns out we were right. So absolutely, I believe that at several instances, as we've seen the government respond to this crisis. Uh, they've been slow. They've been follow, following other countries' lead. Uh, they need to up their game, and that's our job, to make sure that they're held accountable for their mistakes, uh, for their mixed messages, and for their reversals of position. Uh, just before I let you go, uh, the Conservative leadership race was delayed this week. I spoke to Peter McKay this week. He was urging on Thursday that the race actually either be accelerated or go forward, but the leadership committee said, no, they're going to reevaluate it now. Um, first of all, do you believe that was the right decision? And second of all, how long does that mean you will be the leader of the Conservative Party for? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I, I, as someone who is staying completely independent and neutral throughout the race, I, I won't weigh in on what I think should or shouldn't happen in terms of uh, how the race is conducted. I will just say that I know the men and women on our leadership organiza uh, organization committee, uh, they are very, very engaged with our membership, with our members of parliament, uh, with our grassroots activists. I know that they, they, they really... Uh, you know, make these decisions with the best interests of the party. So I, I, I support the decision that they've, they, they've taken. But I'm confident at the end of the day we'll have uh, a competitive, dynamic race with, uh, with a clear winner who will lead us into victory in the next election. I know you can't comment on it. There will be lots of questions about who gets to actually run. A lot of people were cut out just before that deadline. But i got to leave it there. Andrew Scheer, uh, leader of the official opposition, great to have you there. Here, uh, take care of your family. Coming up next on CTV's question period, what's it like on the front lines of the crisis? Do our medical doctors have enough masks, gowns, and ventilators, and test kits? And is there a surge coming? We find out next when we sit down with Dr. Neil Rao, who is on the front lines. Stay right here with question period. I think all Canadians understand that this is a serious situation. It will get worse before it gets better. As a country, we are lucky to have an outstanding national health care system and terrific health care professionals, but we all need to do what we can. Well, as the number of COVID-19 cases jumps across the country and so does the number of deaths. The question is, not only are you safe, but are our frontline healthcare workers, the doctors and nurses, are they safe? Do they have enough equipment to go on for what could be months, enough gowns, gloves, masks, and even ventilators? Those are big questions. And should Canada back in February have shipped 16 tons of medical equipment to China when already the World Health Organization had declared this a public health emergency of international concern. Let's find out right now. Joining me now is Dr. Neil Rao. He's a medical microbiologist and infectious disease specialist. He's been overseeing the COVID-19 testing at three Ontario hospitals. He's also an assistant professor at the University of Toronto. Dr. Rao, first of all, I hope you and your family are well in the midst of this crisis. Can you just give us a sense, as we're looking at places like Italy and, and New York and the United yeah. States, um, what's it like on the front lines right now for your medical teams? Luckily, we don't have the New York City situation, let alone the Italian situation, which I think is the worst uh, anyone has seen anywhere. Uh, we are definitely seeing a 
decanting of patients. We're removing patients out of the hospital as much as possible to create capacity. We are seeing a slight increase in the number of new cases coming into hospital, patients ending up in the intensive care unit on breathing machines. We're definitely seeing that, at least in the Toronto area we are. Um, so it's emerging, but it's not a catastrophe. I think we have an advantage over the worst case scenario of Northern Italy in that we knew we had local transmission going on before this began. The Italians were really blindsided by having local transmission that they didn't realize was around. And that led to many uh, physicians bringing it into the hospital, nurses bringing it to the hospital, infecting patients and then vice versa. And then even uh, healthcare workers infecting each other. And I think there was a bit of an amplification, a kind of a diamond princess of Northern Italy. Because when you look at other parts of Italy where they had a bit more time to respond and realize this was going on, it's not quite as bad as you go further and further south in Italy. Dr. Rao, you know, the big concern is do we have enough medical equipment, gowns, masks, gloves? And of course, then you get enough testing kits and enough ventilators. The ventilator system uh, situation all around the world seems to be absolutely dire. If indeed we're expecting a surge, as you've talked about before, does, does Canada, do our hospitals have enough equipment to handle that or are we already rationing? Okay, well, I will tackle the ventilators issue first. I don't think we're rationing ventilators yet, yet by any means. And I think that's a scary story that everyone's worried about. We've even cornered ventilators from plastic surgery clinics, from the operating room. There are many extra ventilators floating around that can be used if needed. Many of us have done predictions using the Italian uh, example and scaling it to our population and looking at best and worst case scenarios in Italy. The best case scenarios are in southern Italy, like Sicily, it would be unnoticeable as a problem. And when you look at Northern Italy, it's, it's, it's terrifying. So we're scaling and getting ready, looking at how many hospital admissions we would need uh, to worry about how many intensive care unit beds would be used and how many ventilators might be needed. I think we're okay on that front. When it comes to the personal protective equipment, face shields and surgical masks, a phenomenon is developing now where people are so scared of this and on the front lines that they are using a lot of this stuff before it's really needed. And we do run a real risk of running out because of it. Not because it's necessarily needed, but because there's a perception of the need. And so you end up with sort of social tidal waves, what I call infection control by pitchfork, where a whole bunch of people think we need this. And it creates sort of a massive email rebellion and person-to-person -person rebellion where everybody wants something that may not be necessary. And before you know it, everybody is doing it. Now, switching to the lab testing issue, there is a major problem with delays in lab testing. We've been caught by a tsunami wave of need for lab testing. And to give you an example, if I have healthcare providers who need to be tested, and if I have to wait for the results when they've got the sniffles so that I make sure they don't actually have COVID-19, if I wait for seven or 10 days, it's like they're in a penalty box and I have a whole bunch of players on the ice who are missing their partners, it's like a power play. And, uh, and bad things happen when people score in this game. And so that's the issue, we don't want people off the ice, not able to play and help when we most need them. That's one of the big problems with uh, testing delays and also with um, self-isolation or quarantine if it's used to excess. Doug, so, you know, the, the government's saying that they're, uh, they're expecting this for months. I've heard reports that, you know, hospitals are already rationing gowns and masks. There was a lot of pushback about Canada sending 16 tons of medical equipment to China back in February when there's shortages here, although senior government officials have told me that China's gonna return that favor in a matter of weeks or two. Right. But are you preparing for months and months now, Doc? Well, that's the big question. I'm definitely preparing for at least three to four months. I think 
the warmer weather will help us to some degree. And the reason I say this is when you look at countries that are more tropical or places that are more tropical, like Singapore, Taiwan, Vietnam, Malaysia, Philippines, they're not the big news stories. And it's not just because they are superstars. It's because they had weather on their side. And there have been a lot of sort of climate-based uh, reviews of these outbreaks, which are suggesting that warmer weather helps. The northern Iranian plateau in northern Italy had that sweet spot of, of weather from 3 to 13 Celsius, which allows us to prosper. And the same applies to France and even central Spain. Everyone thinks of Spain as sunny and warm, but in the winter it is more in that 3 to 13 Celsius zone. So I'm not saying it's all weather. Florida had a bit of an outbreak, but it didn't take off the way New York State and uh, Washington State did. So I'm optimistic that maybe late May it will cool off. The outstanding question is, are we in for another wave in the fall? Or is this a one-trick pony? It does its deed, and then it's over. And we can't count on the best-case scenario. And I don't think we can totally count on summer being a relief. But I mean, cautiously optimistic that summer will be better in Canada. We have a long winter ahead, unfortunately. Yeah, we do a long winter. In the meantime, there's, as you said earlier, there's this expectation there still may be a surge to come. Uh, listen, you take care. Your teams take care as we're, 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 we're getting deeper into this. Dr. Neil Rao, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right, those are some of the big health challenges, but there's also massive economic challenges, and the Prime Minister announced two huge aid packages, not only for families, but also for businesses. But is it enough? Coming up, the Scrum is here with special guest, the CEO of the Canadian Chamber of Commerce, Perrin Beatty, and the former Finance Minister, Ralph Goodale, will join us. Stay right here with Question Period. to make sure businesses in all sectors get support so that when the time comes and it will come businesses can bounce back quickly and get Canadians back to work it was another unprecedented week in Canada massive economic aid packages 107 billion dollars for families that means people who qualify who have lost their job can get up to eighteen hundred dollars a month for four months and then following that Justin Trudeau announced a huge package to help small and medium-sized businesses. Now there will be a 75% wage subsidy that's up dramatically from the original 10% that was promised. All this could be 150, maybe $200 billion deficits when all is said and done because there apparently is more to come. But with a million people applying to EI, is it enough? And can they get their hands on the money quick enough? Let's find out. We'll bring in the scrum. Joining us, of course, Glenn McGregor, our senior political correspondent for CTV News, Annie Bergeron Oliver, our CTV News political correspondent, and our special guest this week on Question Period, the CEO of the Canadian Chamber of Commerce, Perrin Beatty. Welcome to you. And the former public safety minister and former finance minister, Ralph Goodale. Great to have all of you here from Splendid Isolation, and uh, hope you and your families are well. I'm going to start on the, uh, with you, Perrin Beatty. This is a, these are unprecedented aid packages. Uh, the goal is to keep the economy intact for whenever this thing's over. My question Absolutely. to you is, A, is it enough? And B, uh, will more have to come? Inevitably, more will have to come. Uh, what we have is a, is a situation today which is terrible across the country and where the impact on our economy far outstrips what took place in the crisis over a decade ago. But bottom line here, Friday was a very good day for hundreds of thousands of Canadian small and medium-sized businesses and for millions of their employees. We need to know that, that when we get past this pandemic and we, when we put the key in the economic ignition again, that the motor will start, and this is a help. 
Ralph, good. You have two hats, the former finance minister and obviously former uh, public uh, safety minister. On the finance side, uh, the big challenge is going to be how will people get the money? There's going to be an unprecedented need in a very overtaxed civil service. Can people get this money fast enough? Well, that's the objective, and that has to be uh, the, uh, the, the, the absolute priority for uh, the administrators within the various government departments, particularly the Canada Revenue Agency, which has the biggest delivery capacity for the types of, of programs that are being proposed here. Uh, delivery, delivery, delivery. That will be the, the number one uh, imperative as the government uh, continues to work very hard to get ahead of this curve and to put that much needed cash into the hands of individuals to sustain their income uh, and into the hands of, uh, of small businesses uh, so that they can keep their workforces intact uh, and be ready to go uh, for the recovery phase of this. And that is going to be uh, another piece of the puzzle that will be coming down the road, the kind of uh, economic stimulus measures uh, that will uh, drive the economy forward uh, once the economy is in a position to begin functioning again. At the moment, it's it's focused on the maintenance of income and the maintenance of employment and business presence. Uh, and uh, it will be critically important for CRA and the other government departments to spare absolutely no effort in delivering this cash on time. Yeah, let me go to Annie Bergeron. All you've been watching this. You've seen that, you know, the Trudeau government has recalibrated 10% wage subsidy, then 75%. As you looked at this, what has struck you about this and what do you reckon the biggest challenges are, Annie? Well, I think that right now, Evan, the biggest challenge is really communicating to the general public about what these different programs are and how you apply for them. There's still a lot of details that people don't have. So, for example, you look at the business subsidy. Um, initially, when it was announced, it was 10%, and that was up to 25000 per employer, so it was capped. And a lot of businesses didn't realize that at first, uh, that information wasn't clearly communicated when the Prime Minister first announced it, and they felt left out. So clearly, the government listened to small and medium-sized businesses and made this change. But don't forget, when the Prime Minister made the announcement about the wage subsidy, he said that more details were to come. So he did announce up to 75% for eligible businesses. But so far, there hasn't been a lot of explanation about what exactly an eligible business is and whether the 75% will be capped at a certain amount of money. So these programs are out there. Obviously, the government is listening to Canadians, but there needs to be a bit more clarity. Same with, you know, the EI. So when that one first came out, the two changes around um, the emergency benefits, uh, then it seemed to be a little bit confusing. So they came out with this new CERB benefit. And that's another one that a lot of people are asking, well, is it the same as EI? Is it different than EI? And especially around that communication, there was a lot of confusion about whether the payments were the same, whether people should still be applying for EI, whether they should be applying for the new emergency benefit. The government has done a good job um, of trying to encourage people to sign up through CRA, through my account. But I think there's just needs to be a bit more clarity about some of the programs that they've put out recently and how exactly to apply for all of them, Evan. Yeah, let me get to Glenn's view on the same thing, Glenn. I mean, we're all drinking from the fire hose. The programs are changing. They're coming quickly. Sometimes the ministers don't even know the details. What do you reckon the biggest challenges are, Glenn? Yeah, I agree with Annie that it's really a, 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 about communicating uh, what exactly the programs entail, what do you need to do to qualify, how much money you're going to get. But I think the problem is the government really hasn't decided yet. They came up with the big overarching idea quickly to respond to the, the crisis, but the, 
they haven't really thought through the mechanics of it all and they haven't communicated that to the public service either and that's the real challenge is because they're the ones who are going to put this in place these are programs of a size that normally you would take months of preparation for they're trying to do it, it within 10 weeks and they're trying to do three or four of them at the same time if you include the CERB uh, the, the payroll uh, as well as the loans uh, the, the interest-free loans for business all these programs have to be delivered very very quickly without a whole lot more staff. I mean, I don't understand they've seconded uh, staff, public servants from other departments to work on this, but it's still a massive job, and I am not entirely convinced they're going to be able to pull it off as quickly as they would like. And, you know, you can absolutely expect there's going to be lots of glitches, lots of hiccups, and it's happening at the same time that people who will depend on some of these programs who would go to a service Canada Centre, those are all being closed now, so they have to, to call or use the internet. That's going to add an extra burden on that side of the, the, the government's business. So, Evan, I think it's going to be a, a complicated rollout, and it may not go as smoothly as the government hopes. Yeah, Perrin, I think one of the things that I keep hearing from small businesses, you know, someone said, hey, I was a barber shop. I closed down. I've let all my employees go. Now what? Does this apply to me? Does it apply to people who were literally told weeks ago, uh, shut it down, Perrin? There is a retroactive element in this back to March 15th. And, you know, Annie and, and, uh, made the point very well. What's going to be critical is for us to get more details. For example, what is the ceiling on top of this? Uh, I hope the government casts the net as broadly as possible. Everybody understands that these days everything is improv and all the details aren't there, but we need to push the information out as rapidly as possible. All right, guys, let me take a short break. When we come back, I want to pick this up with Ralph Goodale, not only on the economic side, but on the health side. Did Canada underestimate the challenges when they sent 16 tons of medical equipment to China, or was that a prudent way to contain the virus and part of international cooperation? And will Canada have enough key supplies, not just gowns and masks, but ventilators to keep you safe? The Scrum picks that up next. Stay right here with Question Period. A 14-day quarantine will be mandatory for all Canadians returning home from abroad. We are implementing the Quarantine Act to keep all Canadians safe. If you do not comply with these instructions, you could face serious fines and even prison time. It's the law, the quarantine law. Any Canadian returning from international travel has to self-isolate for 14 days or face not only a serious fine, but maybe even jail time. And now there's restrictions even on domestic travel if you're showing any symptoms. All this new crackdown comes as some are wondering, why didn't it happen earlier? Is it too little, too late? And what about our medical supplies? Are there shortages at hospitals just before Canada could experience a surge. Let's bring back the scrum to discuss all this. Andy Bergeron Oliver is back. So is Glenn McGregor. So is Perrin Beattie from the Canadian Chamber of Commerce and the former finance minister and the former public safety minister, Ralph Goodale, joins us. Great to have you all back. Ralph, let me uh, pick it up with you uh, on the Quarantine Act. Um, look, uh, nobody knows how they're going to enforce this, but a lot of folks are wondering at this point, and, and I've spoken to Andrew Shear about this. Why is it happening now? For, for weeks, there's been demands, put a self-quarantine, shut the border, stop the flights. The Liberals kept saying they didn't want to do that. Um, do you find that, you know, and it's easy to be a COVID morning quarterback, and I don't mean to question everything, but were they too slow to bring in measures that they eventually seem to do anyway? 
Well, the decisions uh, that the government has been making have been based squarely on the uh, on the scientific evidence and on the, the best advice of public uh, public health officials. Uh, the the instruction to Canadians about quarantine and isolation uh, were, uh, were were given right at the very beginning. Uh, the Canadians, uh, by and large, followed that advice. But when it became obvious that there was an uptick in the number of people who were not following that advice, uh, then the further measures were uh, were implemented under the authority of the Quarantine Act uh, to make the requirements mandatory and to put in the uh, the enforcement measures uh, in collaboration, obviously, with uh, with provinces and territories as well. This situation is a terrible one. Uh, it is taxing the resources that right. we've got. Uh, but everyone is putting their shoulder to the wheel to make the right decisions at the right time to protect Canadians' health and safety. Annie, let me bring you in on that. And, you know, a corollary of that discussion, Annie, has been the, the availability of things like ventilators, masks and gowns, that shipment of 16 tons to China in February when the WHO had declared this an international public health uh, emergency. Uh, Annie, has Canada calibrated their response in the right way in terms of how promptly and how available the equipment, the arsenal to fight this war is. Well, Evan, I want to start off with that shipment of medical supplies. We have to remember that when that shipment was made, it was a phase of containment. So the world was trying to make sure that it was contained in Wuhan. But my question for the government would be, when we sent that 16 tons of medical supplies, was there a system in place where they surveyed different hospitals to find out what the status was of their number of masks, their ventilators, those sorts of things? And did the government look at procuring enough medical supplies to replace the 16 tons that they sent over to China? Those are some of the questions I have. And when it comes to whether or not we have enough supplies right now, I think that depends on who you ask. You know, we keep asking the government and the prime minister and his minister say that at the current time, there is no shortage. But that's a very different message than when you talk to hospitals hospital staff who tell you that, you know, any given hospital that I've been talking to for different, um, you know, doctors or nurses, they say in some cases they have a less than a thousand masks, uh, in both surgical or N95s. They say that, you know, the rationing masks, that they have one mask all day, that practices are changing in hospitals where now staff are told to be wearing a single mask all day so that they're not unmasking and remasking, which will save on supplies. In terms of the procurement, the government is working hard, but the question is, will that be fast enough? There are a lot of companies, you know, there's one here in Ottawa that's going to be able to produce um, a machine that can test for COVID-19 in under 30 minutes. They say they're ready and willing to scale up production, but they need an order from the government so that they can actually have money to start producing these, you know, portable testing devices. How quickly? They said anywhere between four to 12 weeks, but it depends on how fast the government gets that order in. So hopefully right. the government is able to talk to these companies and get these orders and give them the money soon, but who knows how long that'll take and whether it's fast enough. Glenn, weigh in on the same stuff. What, what's your view on, on the, this, the response so far, and especially the me, on the medical side, making sure our, our doctors and our frontline workers and nurses have the equipment they need to stay safe to help people? I mean, there's, there's two different numbers, the, the, the total number of supplies we have and then the numbers at each hospital. So that is kind of a dis distribution problem. It will eventually become a supply problem. And yeah, Annie's right, they're going to have to ramp up production and there's a question about whether they can do that quickly enough. There's a big difference between producing things like a surgical masks and face shields, which you see like amateur hobbyists now 
kids printing them on their 3D printers in their basements uh, and creating and building ventilators. Uh, this idea that we're going to retool industry to massively uh, start producing ventilators, I think, is a bit of a fantasy, and I don't think it's going to happen fast enough to make any meaningful dis difference this time, although it probably wouldn't hurt to have this uh, in reserve in the future because COVID-19 may not be the only virus we face in the coming years. On the government's response, I, I don't think anybody would accuse them of being too aggressive. They seem to be replicating decisions that have been made in other jurisdictions and other countries uh, a week or two later. Uh, I think that will start to change as we have some unique problems, especially with the U.S. border, because we see the cases rising very rapidly in the United States, the deaths doubling, I think, over in a period of two days uh, to over 2,000 as of yesterday. I think a decision the government is going to have to face very soon is whether or not they need to tighten the U.S. border to keep Americans out because it looks like their, their contagion rate is going to be much higher than ours eventually. All right, let me go. Last question to you, Perrin. Uh, Glenn mentioned that it's going to be a fantasy or potentially a fantasy for industry to retool. We need ventilators. We need equipment. We need a secure domestic supply. Uh, is that... I mean, is that about to happen? Are we, or is that a fantasy that Canadians are going to experience shortages because of this, parent? We're going to be experiencing shortages. The difficulty is it takes time to, to ramp up, and that's why it's urgent that we, that we retool now and that we act now. Another example uh, of that, Evan, would be in the case of hospitals. We saw in Wuhan the building of hospitals in the space of 10 days. Our hospital emergency wards are about to be flooded with COVID-19 patients. We should be retrofitting facilities right now, hotels, for example, to move people who are in hospital today who could be moved out and whose uh, immunosystems are compromised to more safe territory and to free up space in hospitals. But we need to do it now. Uh, you're seeing businesses retooling across the country, uh, distilleries making hand sanitizers. People in the auto sector looking at, at how they can make ventilators. And even if even if, if it catches the tail end of this particular wave, this could this could very well be back in the fall, even if it dies down now. And you're seeing people making masks and other protective equipment. In addition to that, uh, I've asked chambers of commerce across the country to go out to their members and to say to them, if you have surplus supplies of, of N95 masks or goggles or other protective gear, turn them over to your medical authorities in the local community because there's a lot of material that industry has there. So business is going to do its part and it can do it on a crash basis. We're at war and we need to mobilize every resource we have. Well, guys, I got to leave it there. There's so much going on. We did. We barely touched on the fact that the conservative race is now delayed because of this. But there's so many things going on from the health point of view, the shortages point of view. And there's a lot of people just very, very anxious about their futures economically and health-wise. So I want to thank Perrin Beattie and Ralph Goodell, my colleagues uh, Glenn McGregor and Andy Bergeron-Oliver. And I want to thank you for watching. Uh, I know, like all of us, you're doing your very best to keep you and your families and your loved ones safe. Uh, hang together, but stay apart. Thanks for watching. And we'll be back here in seven short days.